What a wonderful expression of not only what is going to happen, but also our desire to rise one day in the likeness of our Savior. Several, well now, it's probably a couple months ago, one of our ladies said to me, Pastor, I don't know who our deacons and our elders are. And what she said was absolutely right on the money. It's something that you should or you should be familiar with these folks, right? So something I'd like to do is introduce this morning each of our deacons and each of our elders and have them come onto the platform and then we're going to have a word of prayer as they provide leadership in the different realms of our church's responsibilities. So deacons, first of all, if you would kindly come and join me up here. Matt Alexander, Andre De Silva, Rich DeWitt, Mark Seville, Rich Ungerbuehler, and Mark Vanovich. If you would just line up here, and then I'm going to ask those who are the elders of our church to come forward, please. Bill Canning. Dave Geyer, Jim Good, Rick Matheson, Greg Perry, Terry Thompson, as you know, is serving on the mission field right now and will be back in November, Bob Warner, Steve Allen, Luke Still, and myself. Now, some of you may wonder, what do these guys do? They drink coffee, they eat donuts, too many meetings, (laughs) but actually the deacons are responsible for the physical assets of our church ministry here. They are the ones who oversee the budgets, uh, not only for the church, but also for the school, and they deal with any issues that are related to the care of the property and things like that. And then we have a stewardship committee that actually rolls up the sleeves and gets to work doing a lot of the things that the men on the deacon board recognize need to be done. The elder board is really providing the spiritual leadership for our church. These are men that you have determined meet the qualifications of elders and they will make decisions related to the direction that our church goes. They will deal with issues that might come up within the, the church body. And I've emphasized the, the church aspect of this, but a great deal of what has to be done really relates to Highlands Christian Academy. And the deacons, probably 80-90% of what you do deals with the school and a number of different issues that come up related to the school will make its way ultimately to the elder board, and then under the elder board is the, the ministry of the school governance board. So these are the individuals who are serving, and what I would like to do is have each one of them give us their name, and that way you're able to put a name with a face. So is that okay? No, you don't want to do that? George is shaking his head No. Yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for it to come up. There we go. George, remind me, I have something I need to tell you. Matthew Alexander. Richard DeWitt. Andres Silva. Mark Seville. Rich Ungerbuehler. Mark Vanovich. Okay, thank you. And then for the members of our elder board. Bob Warner. Bill Canning. Dave Geyer, Jim Good, Greg Perry, Rick Matheson, Luke Still, Steve Allen. Right now, what I would like to do is something that I really, quite frankly, should have done, and this is a failure on my part, but we should have these men come every year and stand before our congregation so that we can commit their ministries and their work to the Lord. They have a tremendous amount of responsibility and a tremendous amount of work that needs to be done. So let's ask the Lord to give them wisdom and guidance as they continue through their obligations. Father, as we bow before you this morning, I want to thank you for these men. I want to thank you that for Grace Baptist Church, you have provided 
men that love you and that desire to serve you and that qualify to serve you. I thank you, Father, for those who have accepted the responsibility as deacons. And Lord, as they care for a a very large property and many physical assets that are related to the ministries of both Grace and Highlands, I want to thank you for their commitment, for their faithfulness, for their sensitivity to your word, and for their desire to glorify you through all that they do. I thank you, Father, for the support that they receive from our stewardship committee. And Lord, I pray that we would continue to have facilities that would honor and glorify you. Um, And Father, any decisions that we need to make in the days ahead concerning our finances, I pray that you would give these men wisdom. I pray for our elders, and I thank you for godly men who have a deep desire to serve Christ and to live for his glory. I thank you, Father, that these men have accepted this difficult role And they have accepted the responsibility that goes with leading a church congregation. I pray, Lord, that you would bless them. Protect them from Satan's attacks. Cause them to be spiritually minded. Cause their wisdom to increase. And cause them to have good insight relating to all of the different needs of our church family. I thank you, Father, for the capabilities that you have placed in each of their lives. And I thank you, too, for the responsibilities that they carry. Lord, I pray that they would carry out each one with faithfulness to the praise of your glory. I thank you, Lord, that you've allowed us to be part of your work that you have raised up here. And we're so grateful for Grace Baptist Church and, Father, for the ministries of our church, for our missions ministries and Highlands Christian and the Awana ministry, our ladies and men's ministries. Father, we know that you have a plan and purpose to help us be prepared to reproduce and to cause others to to come to know Christ as Savior and to grow in grace and in the knowledge of him. For all of this, we give you thanks. And Father, once again, we pray your blessing upon these men. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, fellas. Thank you. You know, it's really neat to have so many men that are in a position to provide spiritual leadership for a church. Some churches don't have men to provide leadership. And we have been blessed. And I thank the Lord for these guys. George, I said I had something to tell you. In our Sunday school class today, some of you are probably wondering about the small group ministries and how they're going to get going. And uh, we have one of them that just started, I believe, this week. And I'd like to get others going. And as soon as we get leaders for each of the groups, we have six or seven different locations where we'll be letting you know about. And one of the locations is the Forkers. And the Forkers have asked that in this particular group, you'd like to have young people come. And I mentioned that in our Sunday school class, that you would like to have young people just as kind of a change of pace. And uh, one of our men said, well, everyone that signs up for your group would be young. Poor George. <laughs> I know you want to say something, but I'm not going to let you do that. All right. No, that, that'll be wonderful. I, I know you would really like to get to know some of the younger folks, and we're going to try to work it out that way. and We'll, we'll see that it goes that direction. Now, for those who listen uh, online, we're going to be doing something for the next few minutes that will be confusing uh, to those who are going to try to listen to the sermons online, uh, because you will not see the actions that are going on, but if you'll be patient, you'll, you'll hear the remainder of the message that we started last week. But what I wanted to do was uh, just try a little something that is totally different. I have never done this before in a preaching setting, but last Sunday evening I explained to those that were gathered for our Bible study that um, when I was teaching Bible in a Christian high school back in Ohio, I was teaching a a class on the book of Acts, and some of you are probably familiar with Walk Through the Bible Ministries. 
how the, the purpose of that ministry is to help people have uh, little memory hooks that help you remember the events of the Bible and chronologically be able to go through those events. Well, in this little class that we had, we decided to do that to try to learn the book of Acts. And so what I'd like to do is teach you a little device this morning that hopefully will help you think through the book of Acts. And I don't know how much time we can spend on this. Uh, obviously, you're not going to get it all down now, but you, you'll remember some of this. And you'll be able to think through the entire book of Acts by using these little memory devices. The first four chapters of the book of Acts are remembered this way. Can you all do that? Okay. Just as you think this through now, here we go. The ascension of Christ. Go ahead and say that. The descent of the Holy Spirit. Now, as you think this through logically, when the Holy Spirit came, the church began and it began to spread. The church went out. And then... Now, just imagine your ribs represent bars in a prison, okay? So as the church went out, then Peter and John went to prison. Peter and John went to prison, okay? Now, some of you aren't doing this. All right, I'm going to have you come up here, and we're going to make sure you get to do this, all right? I'm watching, okay? So, the ascension of Christ... Descent of the Holy Spirit, the church goes out, Peter and John in prison. Those are the first four chapters of the book of Acts. Now, the next four chapters give us three firsts. Okay? In chapter 5, the first dead Christians, Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira. Chapter 6, the first deacons. Just remember these guys, okay? Chapter 7, the first Christian martyr, Stephen. Okay, so here we go. The ascension of Christ, the descent of the Holy Spirit, the church goes out, Peter and John in prison. Three firsts. First dead Christians, Ananias and Sapphira. First deacons, first Christian martyr, Stephen. It's a little weak. All right. Now, when you get to chapter 8, there is a little mnemonic device, C-S-E-E, because chapter 7 is the salvation of the Ethiopian eunuch. S-E-E, salvation, Ethiopian eunuch. And eunuch begins with an E. Okay? You all got that? Salvation of the Ethiopian eunuch. Saul sees the light. Peter sees the vision. Remember the vision of the the sheet that comes down? Peter sees the vision. The church, or, or Antioch sees the church. And the church sees answered prayer. Peter released from prison. What are you guys laughing at? Okay, is everybody getting this now? Believe it or not, if you th- this is really going to help you think through the, the book of Acts. All right, so uh, rather than review all that right now, because we still have, to, we have the opportunity to open the Word in, in a few mo- minutes, I'm just going to go on from there. All right, that took us to... Okay, chapter 13... <laughs> Some of you wonder how... (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) You wondered... Well, I'm not even going to say. When you get to chapter 13, you begin Paul's missionary journeys. All right? So, the first journey covers two chapters, lasts two years. So, it's one, two, two. So, that means chapters 13 and 14... Deal with the first missionary journey. Now, we, we also learned about where the Apostle Paul went and who all went with him. And the way we did that was we said that, you know, in the day that Paul lived, the way you traveled from one place to another was either by camel or by horseback. So the way we remembered where he went, they galloped into Galatia. Okay? 
And if you're going to go on a long horseback ride, you've got to have food. So they took peanut butter and jelly sandwiches with them. Paul, Barnabas, John Mark, PBJ. So they galloped into Galatia and they took Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark. Okay? When you come to chapter 15, you just have to remember, we could not come up with anything for the Jerusalem Council. That's where the the churches from Jerusalem asked the believers in Antioch about what kind of laws do we have to follow to be saved? And they, they said, you know what? Even the Jews couldn't keep the laws. You, you are not really under law. You're under grace by faith in Christ. But there are four things that we think you should abstain from. Anyway, you, you all remember that. So chapter 15 is Jerusalem Council. Okay. So now you have it all, right? You remember all of this. We'll, we'll, we'll do a, a review, okay, and we'll do it very slowly. Once you get past chapter 15, you're, now you're on another missionary journey. It's the second journey. It covers three chapters, and it lasts three years. All right? So chapters 16, 17, into 18 covers the second missionary journey. Now, Paul and Barnabas and John Mark, they, they were, um, it was tough for them to, to ride the camels and the horses as they, as they traveled. And so they really advanced. And this time they took a van because it was much easier to travel. It made the, the travel so much easier. And on that van, there were mag wheels. M-A-G. They went into Macedonia, Achaia, Greece. Okay? Mag wheels. Macedonia, Achaia, Greece. It's much easier. And to keep that van running well, they kept STP in the tank. Silas, Timothy, and Paul. STP. Okay? Now, some of you are laughing. Others of you are saying, what kind of service have I got myself into? I have never seen anything like this in my life. But you know what? If we learn the scriptures, I can't think of a much better thing to do. So anyway, here we go. The second missionary journey, how many chapters? Three chapters. How many years? Three years. How did, where did they go? Kea and Greece. M-A-G. Alright? And who went? See, it's working, isn't it? You're all laughing at me, but it's working. Okay, Silas, Timothy, and Paul. Now, you get to the third missionary journey, and it covers four chapters. But it begins partway through chapter 18. So it's 18, 19, 20, and 21. So you have four chapters. Guess how long it lasted? Four years. So the first one was two and two. The second one was three and three. And the third one was four and four. All right? Now, where did they go? Well, this is now the third missionary journey. And they're very, very tired. And so they are going to go now into a realm, a a region known as Asia. They give... A sigh of relief. This is the last one. Asia. A sigh of relief. Now this next one is the only one that I have any questions about because in my day this, this didn't have any connotations that were not appropriate. And I hope that this is not appropriate. I hope that, uh, I hope this is not inappropriate. And I hope it doesn't offend anyone. But the way we remembered was uh, the people that went was now on this third journey they're all pooped out okay do you remember that expression when you got really tired okay so P.O. Paul and others (laughs) okay so there was that group alright so now we're at chapter 22 and Paul is in Jerusalem and and here is uh, an hourglass He's arrested, and he is giving a defense before the Jerusalem mob. It's the big gathering of people. 
So here's the Jerusalem mob. Paul arrested and on trial before the Jerusalem mob. Then a smaller group put him on trial, known as the Sanhedrin. Then he was given to a guy by the name of Felix, and Felix wanted money from this guy, but Paul never gave it to him, so he had to go to another guy named Festus, and the last guy that he stood trial in front of was Agrippa. And then he traveled to Rome, and then he ministered in Rome. You've just learned the book of Acts. Aren't you excited? Okay, shall we try it together? All right, let's, let's try it. All right, here we go. Chapter 1, the ascension of Christ. Chapter 2, the descent of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 3, the church goes out. Chapter 4, Peter and John in prison. Chapter 5 are three firsts. (laughs) That was great. That was like a Simon Says. I went like this and you all went like this, but it's not that. It's this. (laughs) Okay. All right, here we go. Uh, First dead Christians, Ananias and Sapphira. First deacons. First Christian martyr, Stephen. All right, so now after... The three firsts, now the key phrase is C, S-E-E. Salvation of the Ethiopian eunuch. Chapter 9, Saul sees the light. Chapter 10, Peter sees the vision of those unclean animals. And chapter 11, Antioch sees the church. And chapter 12, the church sees answered prayer. Peter is released from prison. Okay, you guys getting this? All right. (laughs) Chapter 13 is the beginning of the missionary journeys. First missionary journey, how long did it last? How many chapters does it cover? Who went? And John Mark, PBJ. They took peanut butter and jelly with them. Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark. And how did they get to their locations they galloped into galatia all right now chapter 15 <laughs> jerusalem council however you can come up with this is that what we're going to do a lot of talking jerusalem council we can give that consideration um chapter 16 begins the second missionary journey how many chapters does it cover Three chapters. How long does it last? Three years. Where did they go? And who went? They went to Macedonia, Achaia, Greece, the mag wheels, and it was STP in the tank, Silas, Timothy, and Paul. All right? When we come to the third missionary journey, how many years did it last? Four years. How many chapters does it deal, uh, are covered? Four chapters. But you remember, 18 is kind of split. Alright? Where did they go? Asaya. Asia. And who went? Paul and others. Now, after the third missionary journey is complete, Paul goes back to Jerusalem and he is arrested. And so, who, who is, who's he standing before giving a defense? The Jerusalem mob. And then he's standing before the Sanhedrin. That's the Jewish ruling body. Then he is sent to Felix. Then to, and then to Agrippa. And then he travels to Rome, and then he ministers in Rome. Okay. (laughs) I hope that that you are at least able to remember. You know what you'll remember? You'll remember uh, Macedonia, K and Greece. You'll you'll remember that. You'll remember the the times of the... um, the length of time and the chapters of the missionary journeys. You'll probably remember the first four chapters pretty easily. The the next three get a little bit confusing, but anyway. I hope that that helps take you through the book of Acts because today we conclude 
although I heard someone say that last week, uh, we will be looking at the end of our study in the book of Acts. So would you kindly turn, please, in your Bibles to Acts chapter 28. And last week we, we learned some things that will happen and that we can expect if we are going to do the work that God has called us to do, which is to become involved in making disciples. And in the process of making disciples, there is going to be a variety or there will be a variety of responses that will come our way if we do what the Lord has called us to do. And they are pretty well fashioned and and experienced by the Apostle Paul. And when we look at his life, we begin to understand in a much broader sense the things that we can anticipate if we are going to be disciple makers. And by the way, isn't that why we're here? We're not here to be comfortable We're here to make disciples. And that's what the process is all about. And so what you can expect if you're involved in that that process, you can expect there to be hurtful accusations. And those accusations came to Paul in spite of the truth about Paul. He was accused of a whole variety of things that were particularly opposed to the Jewish way of thinking. He he was accused of not loving the people of Israel and he was accused of misleading and deceiving and none of those things were true. The problem really arose when he said that the gospel is not just for the Jew. It's for the Gentile. Did you notice when we were reading the passage today that the same reaction takes place in Jerusalem, or pardon me, in Rome that had taken place in Jerusalem? When he says the gospel is going to the Gentiles, the Jews don't want to listen to any more of it because they thought God had chosen them as his special people and they were it. And if you wanted to become a a friend of God, you had to come as a Jew. Well, now Paul is saying, no, that's not true. You need to accept his son as your savior. And so what you can count on is that there will be untruths said about you as well. Uh, People will call you self-righteous if you tell them about Christ. They will call you unloving. They will call you arrogant, especially if you are staying true to the fact that there is one Savior who is Jesus Christ and that false religions do not worship the true God. Islam does not worship the true God. Mormonism does not worship the true God. Buddhism does not worship the true God. Well, that seems very arrogant to say that. So be it. There is only one true God, and he has made himself known in three persons. We identify those persons as they are identified in the Scriptures, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so you can pretty well count. There are going to be hurtful accusations leveled against you. And some of you have already experienced that. You've already been called self-righteous. And then they like to throw the word hypocrites on. But what they don't understand is we were hypocrites before we ever came into the church. So the whole world is full of hypocrites. You don't become hypocrites because you you become a believer. You're already one. Uh, Hopefully we are becoming less hypocritical. And then you're going to get bad press. And part of that means that there are going to be misconceptions that are going to be raised about who we follow and and what we believe. Um, because part of the problem is we always get lumped in with all of the idiots. Every crazy person that claims to know Christ who doesn't really know him, but they want to be identified as a follower of Christ, and they're just off the wall with their their thinking and the direction that they're going in their life. We get lumped together with them. And uh, the, the charlatans that try to use Christianity as a means of padding their own pockets and having people believe that God will do something for you if you are 
doing the right thing for him. Do you, do you uh, listen? I, I want to take a second on this. Do you all understand that no matter what you do, God doesn't love you any less? Do you understand that? There, there are people that would have us believe that if you commit an act of sin, God loves you less. No. He loves you just as much when you commit that act of sin as He does if you are doing works of righteousness. Do you get that? You must understand that because there are people who live under this shadow of believing that somehow God is now angry with you and He's going to throw these lightning bolts down upon you if you do wrong things and then the people that seem to be living the right way, God is just so happy with them and that's bringing God down to our level. He says... He loves us with an unfailing love in spite of our behavior. But because He loves us, He will not allow us to continue in rebellious, sinful behavior without chastening us. And chastening doesn't come from a heart of anger. It comes from a heart of love. And then He uses the illustration of a parent. You love your child, so you discipline them, so they live the right kind of life and they don't hurt themselves and they don't go through life living in rebellion and and in sinful behavior. Well, the father looks at us and he says, that is my expression of love. I don't love you any less. I may have to deal with you differently, but I love you just as much. And so, folks, if if you're taught... That if you just work up enough faith, God will heal your disease. Forget it. If God chooses to heal your disease, He will heal it. He has the sovereign right to make that choice. It has nothing to do with your reaction, your response to Him. It is His purpose and His will. And most of the time, His will is to allow diseases and illnesses and injuries to take their course. And He has built within us the capability for the body to heal itself. That's why a good doctor will tell you, we don't heal people, we help the body heal itself. Because God has made our bodies with the capability to provide healing until... He brings into us and allows to come to us that disease which ultimately will take us home. Because death still resides in us. So let's be honest and let's be truthful about this. Do you all understand? I believe that God can heal any disease, any illness, any injury, any sickness if He sovereignly chooses. And it's His choice. We work with Him in His sovereign will. And so, you're, you're going to find, just as Paul did, that there were misconceptions about what it is to be a follower of Christ. And those misconceptions are going to be around for us as well. And now, we move into a whole new realm. And this is where we begin to draw to a conclusion those elements that we can expect if we're going to follow Christ in making disciples and do what he said we're supposed to do, there will be, to the message that we present, a mixed reception. Most will not believe the message of the gospel. Do you all understand that? Most will not believe the message of the gospel. And there's a reason for that. The first reason that we can camp on is the fact that that's exactly what Christ told us the way things were going to be. I want to draw your attention back to a passage in the gospel of Matthew, the seventh chapter where the the Lord is speaking to the disciples and he says this, Enter by the narrow gate... For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it. So the reality is that the Lord told us that most will reject the message of the gospel. People sometimes become discouraged when they faithfully share Christ and people do not respond. And I think from a human point of view, we all would understand how that can become 
discouraging. But the purpose for which the Lord has called us to evangelize and do the work of an evangelist is not so we can revel in the responses. It is so He can direct and call those to Himself whom He has chosen. And through us, He will allow us to be part of that process in bringing people to faith in Christ. But does that excuse us or allow us to stop being faithful and telling people to Christ just because we're not seeing a lot of people respond? No way! It doesn't matter how many respond. That is not my concern. That is not your concern. My concern is that I am faithful in sharing the gospel with everyone that is willing to listen or everyone that will ask for the reason of the hope that lies within me. And that's your responsibility too. And then we say, now Father, I've done this according to your will. I've shared Christ and now it's up to you. And then you say, you know what? I really did a great job there. I explained so clearly how people are guilty in sin and all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I've, I've made it clear that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I help people understand that in spite of the fact that we are sinners in rebellion to God and lost... God still loves us, that He proved His love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that if we will accept the free gift of eternal life, by grace are you saved through faith. And it's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. Man, did I hit a home run there. And the person looks and says, oh, that's nice. I'm glad you believe that. And they walk away. What do you say? You say, I understand that kind of response because of the reasons the Lord tells us people will not accept Christ. Listen to these reasons. As we turn again in the Scriptures to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, listen to this. And if you want to write this passage down, you can look this up for yourself. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. There is a satanic blindness that people experience. Beyond that, people love darkness rather than light. Why? Because when you come to the light, it shows who and what you are. And it's not a pretty picture. So, John wrote this as he quoted Christ. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. John chapter 3, verse 19. I don't want people knowing what I do in secret. Because that's a place of darkness. And I like the darkness because my deeds are evil. And I don't want people to see my deeds. The Lord said, our natural way of thinking is to love the darkness because it hides what we are. So people won't accept because they love darkness rather than light. And then in Ephesians, when the Apostle Paul wrote, here's kind of the, the, the crux of the matter. Uh, we, we are people, apart from Christ, who delight in wickedness. Listen to this. And you, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which, now he's speaking in the past tense, because this involves those who have not accepted Christ But when you accept Christ, this is the way it used to be. So he's kind of giving us a a picture. Have you ever seen those before and after pictures? Go go to the gym. Some of you will never set foot in a gym, okay? Um, Go go to the health food store or or go someplace. Uh, You look at a magazine and it says before and it's usually some very large person and they... 
have been undisciplined in their eating habits and in exercise. And then it says after. And it's got somebody standing there. And if it's a guy, he's got the, this great, these abs that just kind of stick out. And he's got bulging muscles. And somehow he's all greasy, uh, which I don't understand how that becomes an after. But that, that must be after the after. I, I don't know what that is. But anyway, they will show you a before and after. This is what Paul is doing here. He's saying, take a look at what you were without Christ. You're not that anymore. You're something new. So here's what he says. You he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. You know that that is Satan. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. And so people delight in their wickedness, and they won't come to Christ. And some won't come because they have religious pride. And they think, well, I can, I can please God on my own. I'll do all the right things. And one day the, the scales will make, make it look like I was much better than all the bad things that I've done. And God certainly will accept me. And they do not understand that it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but it's according to His mercy that He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. You and I better understand, not many people will accept Christ. But, some will. And they will accept Christ because of the power of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. There is life in the Word of God that brings about change. There is the ministry of the Holy Spirit who is like the wind. You don't know where it's come from. You don't know where it's going, but you know it's there. And the Spirit of God, according to Christ, We don't know when He's going to come and work in a person's heart. And then, we know He has worked because we see a changed life. Did you ever... How many times have you heard this kind of a testimony? I thought that person would never come to know Christ as Savior. Have you ever heard that? I've I've seen people that I thought would be the last people in the world to ever put their trust in Christ. And all of a sudden, one day, the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and breaks their heart. And they turn in faith and accept Christ as Savior and their whole lives change. I've watched that happen to people. And to me, it's astounding. But it's the power of the Word of God, the power of the Gospel, and the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's the other part of this. In spite of the fact that it is a divine work, it is also a human responsibility. God calls us to faithfully give the gospel. Listen, you all know that I believe in divine election. I've not hidden that. And I've shown you the scriptures why I believe in divine election. But I also believe in human responsibility. And I believe that people must respond to the gospel in order to be saved. And I believe the way the message of the gospel is carried to other people is by us. By you. And if you don't carry the gospel, how will they ever hear? Well, there's one final element that enters the picture here, and that is, as you get down to those last two verses, I want you to look at these with me. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concerned the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. There's an ongoing responsibility. We're not done until the Lord takes us home. When Paul was entering the last stages of his life, 
Do you know what he did while he was in prison? He wrote, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, those books that we see as the prison epistles. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Those he wrote from prison. And by the way, when you look at Philippians, you know what he's telling the people? Rejoice. Be joyful. And he himself is in chains. He did not stop because of his being involved in incarceration. He wrote the prison epistles. He spread the gospel boldly and unhindered. Will you please consider these things? He was not hindered by being in chains. As a matter of fact, his being in chains gave him some new opportunities. He had a captive audience. Hey, soldier, come here. I got something to tell you. It's going to be the best news you've ever heard. That didn't stop him. You know what else didn't stop him? A corrupt government. I know we have concerns about some of the decisions that our president president has made, as we had about the president who preceded him. It isn't an issue of the government. It's an issue of people's hearts. You want to see things change in this country? You get out there and spread the gospel. And when people's hearts change, they don't become politically oriented They become followers of Christ who don't allow a government to dictate the beliefs we hold and the direction we go. Paul didn't allow that to happen. He lived in a government that was really corrupt. In fact, the the leaders of that government wanted to be worshipped. We haven't had that. And he didn't allow that to stop him. You say, we live in such a pagan society. Oh, yeah? It's bad, isn't it? It's nothing like Paul lived. Sometimes I think we we look for excuses so we don't carry the gospel. And then you'll hear people slander those that want to be faithful in telling others about Christ. And uh, that discourages them as well. So... He continued his work. He instructed and dispatched fellow workers. I could go into passages here that tell you about these people. Let me tell you about some of the people while he was in prison that Paul discipled, sent, received, encouraged, and blessed. Luke, Timothy, Tychicus, Epaphroditus, Aristarchus, Mark, Onesimus, and the list just goes on. He continued to bless their lives. And he continued until he died. Let's just take a look at the the background here. Probably somewhere around 63, Paul winds up in Rome, 63 A.D., We're told that he stayed in a rented house for two years, but he didn't die until 67. So there's a four-year period there. What did he do in those other two years? And there are some theories. Some people believe he went back and visited churches that were in Asia and then returned to Rome. Some believe he went to Spain and shared the gospel in Spain. And though we have no books that are written to any of the churches in Spain, Paul carried the gospel to that land that was not all that hard for him to reach from the city of Rome. Which of those is accurate? I don't know. The Lord doesn't tell us. But what we do know is this. The whole time he was in Rome, and undoubtedly the time that he was not incarcerated, He continued to spread the gospel and serve Christ. 
And that's what the Lord calls us to do. You can't always serve Christ maybe when you get older the same way you did when you were younger, but you can still serve him. And it's not a matter of, well, when I get to a certain age, then I'm going to stop. It's a matter of allowing the Lord to take you home. Paul was martyred in 67 A.D. Until your life ends, what are you going to do with it? We've uh, asked the the folks in our uh, Sunday school class to speak out, verbalize the purpose of God for their lives. It has been a remarkable experience. It has been very open. It has been emotional. It has been challenging. It has been encouraging. It has just been an incredible blessing. I would put that question to you. What is God's purpose for your life? Please don't answer it the wrong way. We are here to make disciples. That's the purpose. To glorify God by producing disciples who love, worship, and obey Him. And then in that process, to minister to one another in love as we tell others about the Savior. And then we come to the end of the book of Acts and there's no clean conclusion. It's not like all of a sudden you read the end. And there's a reason for that. The reason is that the acts of the followers, the disciples of Christ, are continuing to write the message of the spread of the gospel. And you and I are part of that. Let me ask you a question. If the Lord were to write down your part in glorifying Him by producing disciples who love, worship, and obey Him, How's the rest of Acts going to read? It's up to you. Let's stand. Father, we we know that the life of this man, Paul, came to an end there in Rome. And Father, we know that he served you faithfully until death, but Lord, he was just a man. It's your work that continues, and you choose to use men and women. And you choose to use young people. And sometimes you even choose to use boys and girls to bring glory to yourself. Father, how I pray that as the remainder of the acts of the followers of Christ as that book continues to be written, that the chapter that we're responsible for will reflect faithfulness and commitment and righteousness for the glory of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.